This is RJ Bell, CEO of Pregame.com, and you're listening to a sports betting tutorial. This is a series in which we discuss handicapping concepts, and this tutorial is going to cover handicapping college bowl games. And our goal is to review concepts that can be applied this year and every year. Joining me for this tutorial is Marco D'Angelo, who is bringing 29 years of handicapping expertise to the table, and Vegas Runner, a genuine Las Vegas professional batter. Okay, college bowls. Now, usually we're going to be talking about three, four, five, six different concepts that apply to the subject matter at hand. But you know, whenever you have to have three, four, five, or six, or whatever the number is, there's an implication that any given number is as important as the next number. Number two and number three are similar. But sometimes in reality, that's not the case. Sometimes number one can be so important that it's more important than all the other numbers combined. And I kind of think that's the case with, with college bowls. And I think that number one factor is the motivation of the teams playing in the game. So let's start off with Marco D'Angelo and give us a little bit on motivation in college bowls. Well, motivation, there's several different ways that you can read motivation. The most obvious one is you're going to take a look at, does the team want to be here? What was their goal coming in at the beginning of the season? Are they someplace they want to be? And that's one of the reasons that in early bowl games, it has been a proven fact that underdogs have a tendency to cover more than in the later bowls. And the reason for that is because you generally have one team that is public perception-wise and on paper a much better team, and they're laying a bigger number. But that team, because they are so much better than the team they're playing, probably had aspirations of being in a bowl later on, closer to New Year's Day or New Year's Day. And so if they're playing in an early bowl, they're not going to be as motivated. They're slightly disappointed to where they're at. And that's where the dog is live, has something to prove, and can score against the non-motivated team. Okay, so one thing that, that we're talking about is what were the team's expectations? And, and I think that's a key, is if a team like, uh, that thought it was going to win the national championship lost the last game and then didn't make the national championship, you could make the case, even with one loss, this is a team that's disappointed. And sometimes you can have a team that, that, that wins its last game to make a bowl, and it's going to be excited about being in that game. So it's really not about what teams did well or not. It's about expectation. Okay, Vegas Runner, tell us a little more about motivation. Well, like I, we spoke about earlier, motivation is definitely, when, when it comes to the college bowl games, that is the key factor. Um, besides the, the point spread and uh, whether you perceive value to be on either side, motivation is the, the first step you're going to take when handicapping the game. That's the first handicapping method you need to apply. You need to break down both teams and say, as Marco said, which team really is happy to be here? Uh, which team surpassed their expectations and got here? Or, or which team, it's actually, uh, like Marco said, they lost their last game, so it's a demotion to be playing in this bowl game. So I think that needs to be established first and foremost. Um, sometimes we're able to, to, to see uh, which team is the one that, that is the team that's not the motivated one, excuse me, um, by how the BCS has these teams ranked. So you'll see a ranked team that's, you know, number eight playing an unranked team, but does that number eight team really want to be playing not on New Year's Day? Okay, so jumping in, 
is it strikes me that if there were a number, like a power ranking number or something or a BCS number to say how motivated this team is, that'd be pretty simple. Is We'd play the heavily motivated teams and play against the ones that aren't. But there's not a number. So part of the expertise here is how do we determine uh, which teams are motivated? So what I'm going to do is talk about one or two concepts and then we can see if there's anything left to add. Number one is, is this game, how much is this game a reward for the team? Is it something that they're going to be excited about? And, and that's another way to say, are they going to be motivated? So I think there's a couple factors. One is, how close is this bowl game physically or, you know, I guess geographically? is if the team is playing right down the street, there might be a home field advantage, and we'll talk about that later, but they're really not getting a gift or a reward. Now, if you're going somewhere special or exotic, you know that's going to be more of a reward. So I think that's a factor for sure. Number two is, and this is one you don't hear talked about very often, is has the team been to this bowl game recently? Uh, you know, I, I'm an Ohio State fan, and over the years, they seem to return to the same bowl game sometimes again and again and again. And I know from having people inside the program that I talk to that it's just when you're at this place the third time in five years, you're just not that excited. So has the team been there recently? Is there travel involved? That seems like two main factors. We touched on very strongly the, the major factor, which is how prestigious is this game versus the expectations for the teams. So that seems like three ways to determine motivation. A fourth way is reading quotes. I mean, the reality is, and we talk about this all the time at pregame.com, is if you read the quotes, you can read between the lines and determine, are these players excited? So we got the quotes as a fourth way to, to define motivation. Now, is there anything else you guys can think of? The one thing you touched upon about a team, you know, winning a game at the end of the season and getting a reward to the bowl, that's great. But the flip side to that is the the teams with the one-game loss, if that one-game loss came early in the season, they have an opportunity to readjust their season goals. They may have had a goal of a national championship when the season started, but they lost that one game. So the national championship was out of the picture, but then they reset their goal, and it was to win the conference, to win the conference and get to the best bowl that that conference alignment had. I think it's very important to look at the teams that lost their last game that changed their direction to where they went, most importantly. And, so know. what you're saying is, and that's a great point, is the team that loses the last game, that changed the direction, and again, sometimes you can lose the last game and it doesn't really affect where you go. But they lose the last game, it changes the direction, and if that direction is lower than the goal for the season, it's going to be hard to be motivated. And that brings up another point. These bowl games, and I've actually been on site for a number of bowl games with, uh, with teams, and it's a huge endeavor. There's a lot of distractions, and it's practice and film and meetings from you know morning, noon to night. And if you don't want to be there, it can really be a more difficult experience for the players than the normal game during the regular season. Okay, so now I think we've really established that motivation is probably 50%. And if all you did of, of college bowl handicapping, and if all you did was define the, the, the least motivated teams and fade them, then I think you'd be doing pretty well. And one other point, Marco makes a good point on this. 
is once you get to New Year's Day, even if it was a disappointment to get, and again, New Year's Day back in the day meant the big games. Well, nowadays, there's some lesser games that happen New Year's Day and, and after, in between that and the BCS game. So when we're, let's call it a BCS Bowl. If you make a BCS Bowl, even if, you, if it's below expectation, it's hard not to be excited about that. But early on, when you got a, a marquee team playing in a small bowl, you know, even before Christmas, you, you, you got to guess, unless there's really extenuating circumstances, that that team is disappointed. Okay, now, second factor, Vegas Runner, what would you consider to be a key second factor after motivation? Well, what we spoke about earlier, you got to definitely look at the matchups and how the two teams stack up against each other. Uh, whether one team's defensive oriented, whether they're run oriented, pass oriented, um, just it's just some teams will not play well in certain situations. Some teams can't defend against the run. Some can't defend against the pass. So I really think you have to, because these are teams that didn't play against each other during the season, um, conferences that haven't met. So you know they really don't know each other. But I, th I think that you need to be able to define the styles of both teams and, and see how they would match up. Okay, so I, I think that's a great point, and, and I'm jumping in a little early to make a distinction. Some concepts that apply to college bowls apply to everything. When we were prepping for, or when I say everything, I mean every football game. When we were prepping for the show, we were talking about, well, you set your line with the power rankings. Well, you do that for every game. You try to gauge public perception. Well, you do that for every game. You try to identify matchups. You do that for every game. And and the question with a tutorial like this college bowl handicapping tutorial is, is what do we do differently to handicap college bowl games? And, and I think matchups are a key. And I'm going to throw out a first con concept and and then uh, kick it to Marco is there's actually this is a, a, a rather sophisticated concept and we won't spend too much time on it but what happens when you have a quirky offense a an offense or even a defense sometimes it's just different from the norm and there's really two schools of thought and I'm going to kind of lay my school of thought out and then let Marco lay his school of thought out it's my school of thought that if you're facing let's say a run and shoot team and, and that's an uncommon offense, let's say, in your conference, is since you don't play this team year in and year out, while a conference rival is playing that team every year, and maybe the first year or the second year, it's a challenge to get ready, but the third, fourth, fifth year, you're used to this. You pull out the same game film, the game plan, and you do the same thing against that team. But if you're playing a team one-off in a bowl game, you've never faced that quirky offense, I consider it to be an advantage for that quirky offense. Now, Marco, there is another side to that. Well, there's no question that the quirky offenses have an advantage when you don't see them. But the beauty of the bowl, as opposed to the regular season, is whenever a non-conference team has to face one of those quirky offenses, as you call it, they have one week to prepare. And many times, it's almost a throwaway game because they're more concerned about the conference schedule. When you're in the bowls, you have three, sometimes four weeks to prepare for that one game. So they are going to have an advantage in preparing for it. But as we talked about you know, at lunch, you can't replicate those offenses sometimes, no matter how much you want. If you don't have that type of personnel on your team for the 
the practice squads, so to speak. You can't really replicate it at game speed, but you still have an advantage over playing in season. Okay, so the extra time helps you prepare, but the key distinction, I think we hit on it, is can that quirky offense be replicated? If so, the time helps. If not, you know, who, you know, who, I don't think the time does as much good. Okay, and another factor to consider is the style of play in a given conference. Because when you have these interconference matchups, oftentimes you can have a team that is playing, let's say, in a conference that's run heavy. And they're facing a team that throws the ball a lot in a bowl game. And the reality is they haven't seen that during the year. They haven't seen a team throw 40, 50, 60 times. And it's going to be hard to defense, and it's going to be hard to replicate in practice. Now, on the other side of the coin, you might be a, a, a soft league, a league that's all offense and no defense, playing a team that's got a really good defense. And, and the team from the soft league is going to have a lot of trouble. So I think you can look at team matchups, but you can gain a lot from thinking about how the league plays and when there's times there's a big advantage there. Now, the last point on matchups, and let's go to Vegas Runner on this, is typically there's teams that are very physical offensively, and then there's teams that are more timing-based offensively. And, and VR, you believe that, that one of those teams have an advantage in bowls. Yeah, well, well, the, when it gets to the bowl games, because of the month gap that they're going to have, when you have teams that come in and they're throwing the ball, and especially going down the stretch and they're, they're doing it extremely well, lighting up the scoreboard, when you're off for a month, the timing has to, the, the, there's going to be a problem there. I mean, when you're just so into into that zone and your timing's down with your receivers and your quarterback and, and the whole offense is just clicking, now all of a sudden you have to take a month off. You're not in game speed. You're going up against the same defense you've been practicing against week in and week out. Um, it's as vanilla as they come. So I think that that type of offense is going to lose a lot of its luster. Um, while on the other side you have a more physical offense, they're the same. They're ball control. They're going to pound the ball. They're going to pound the ball. There's no secret to what they do. Um, whether they're off for a week or whether they're off for a month, their playbook's going to be the exact same. Um, you know, they might throw a couple special things in there for the bowl games that you haven't seen. But as far as what they do, they're going to stick to their philosophy. We run first and we use the run to set up the pass. And that's the bottom line. But um, like you said, RJ, and what we spoke about earlier, them teams with that time in offense, man, history shows us that when they get to the bowl games, if, if they're not clicking, they have a lot of problems moving the ball. Okay, so I think that's a good feedback, VR. So really with the matchups, it's not always cut and dry, but I think we touched on some real good factors. Okay, so we had motivation first. Matchup second, and now Marco, what do you see as being next? Well, I have one more thing to add on uh, matchups and fundamentals that I like to use in bowls, and I think it's very important. I like to look for teams in bowls that I call 200 club members. A 200 club member is an offensive team that runs and passes for more 200 or more yards. And the reason I like these type of teams is even with all the preparation time, they're a double-edged sword. You got to prepare for both a strong running game and a strong passing game versus an offense that's one handed. It's easier to see if you have a month to prepare for a team that just runs the ball and you take away that running game, that team's in trouble. But if you have a team that's balanced, you got a backup plan and then the one sets up the other. So I really, really look for teams 
that are diversified. Much more balanced, have the edge going in. Very interesting, sense. very interesting. So really, that seems to stem from the fact of the extra preparation time. If you're only focusing on one element of the offense, it's going to be much easier. Balanced offense, much more difficult to really zero in on. That's a great uh, addition to the matchup area. Okay, so let's talk about, and I'm going to jump in and, and, and talk about the third one, is I think the third factor is the bowl game history of the coach. The coach, not the team, the coach. Now here's why. Is bowl games are logistical nightmares. The amount of information that needs to be considered and decisions that need to be made, travel, hotel accommodations, where to practice, how to get to practice. I mean, I've actually been in motorcades. It's amazing for a team just to, to go to practice. It's a motorcade with 20 police officers helping you get to the practice field. That's something that with experience, uh, a team is going to learn how to handle well. And without experience, it's going to be a whole new experience that's going to be overwhelming to the new coach. So to me is if you've got an experienced coach, especially one that has a good record in bowls, it's a sign that he's figured out this system. An inexperienced coach or a coach that has a poor record, he hasn't figured it out most likely. Now, before I pass it on for some follow-up thoughts, Again, don't forget, there's so many distractions down there. It is morning, noon, and night. So, so, and you're not, when you're on the road during the regular season, it's one night. One night on the road, you got to figure out that one team meal, they're going to go play and come home. This is a whole week. These are kids, 21 years old and, and under, and, and, and keeping them motivated and keeping the system flown is a big challenge, and you only can do that with experience. Guys, thoughts on that? Um, that that just blew me away. That what you just brought to the table is something to to be totally honest with you that I even overlooked, and I'm already breaking down these bowl games. Um, I mean, I, I put a lot of weight in coaching when it comes to the bowl games. When it comes to playoffs, I put a lot of stock in coaching. Some coaches know how to win big games. Some coaches don't. Some coaches know how to prepare when given extra time. Some coaches, it doesn't make a difference. If anything, they lose focus or they lose their team's attention. Um, but RJ said something that really did blow me away. And he said about how the bowl atmosphere and some coaches, it's just a new experience to them. And things as far as the logistics and as far as setting up schedules, um, that's something that you really need to consider. And you could find an edge there, I think, in as far as betting goes, because it's something that I didn't really look into. I mean, I've broken down these bowl games, like I said, and I've gone through the coaches and what their history is and, and how they fare. But now what RJ said, their experience at certain bowl levels, certain games, and of course, playing in the Fiesta Bowl is going to be a little different than playing in Mobile, Alabama. And so if a coach has been in them kind of big bowl games, he will be able to, to handle what comes with it so, as far so as what I think, you said. I think any bowl game is different. A game on the national stage, a real marquee game, is even more challenging Absolutely. because there's more press around. And the fact of the matter is playing in front of the whole nation can be a daunting experience especially for a coach that doesn't have that per, that experience in his history. Marco? The other thing with the coaching that would be um, an advantage is guys that have been around a long time, that know how to prepare. When you have, we always use the phrase coaching mismatches sometimes, you're going to see it more evident when you have three weeks to prepare sure. versus one week to prepare. 
And case in point to me, there's one coach that has always had a great record in bowl games, and everybody says he's senile, you know, now, but that's Joe Paterno. I mean, this guy, you give him three weeks to prepare a game plan, he can dissect your, you. your, your team and find your weaknesses, know his strengths and what to exploit, and, you know, look at history. That's one time that we talk about trends, do trends have a factor? Coaching trends do. Excellent. And, and actually, that was my last point, which is, is not only experience, but how do they use the time, the prep time before that game? Do they use it effectively or not? Great. Okay, now moving on to our fourth factor, and I'm going to define that as how well a team's fan base travels. So we've talked about it a little bit earlier, is you can have a little diminishment of excitement if a bowl game is in a team's backyard. But the flip side of that, if a bowl team or if a bowl game is in a team's backyard, it's going to be a situation where the fans are going to be more inclined to attend. And there won't be maybe a home field advantage, but there will be a home crowd advantage. Now, there's also factors other than that where certain teams, Ohio State and Texas, seem to travel. They got a fan base everywhere, and they, they got very dedicated fans that are willing to make the trip. I actually attended the Ohio State uh, Miami of Florida BCS championship game uh, years ago, and I can tell you it was 90% Ohio State fans, even though it was across the country for both teams, and it was a big advantage. So how well the team travels, uh, what is, uh, Marco, what's your thoughts? That's very important, and if you go back uh, several years ago before the BCS and before the, the bowl tie-ins, there were times that teams that had better records got bypassed by certain bowls because the bowl committee knew that they, they just didn't did not right. And the team that comes to mind to me is West Virginia, who was always a poor traveling team. And no matter how good their record was, people didn't want to give them the invite, the invite. to the good bowl because of that. So that is definitely a factor that you have to consider. And this, with the internet now, you can find this kind of information out of how the ticket splits are going for the bowl games. That's you know information that was harder to get before, but in the age of technology, all of this stuff is available. All right, so let's talk about that, and then we'll go to the Vegas Runner to wrap this um, this factor up. Is one is let's keep in mind most games are going to have no real home crowd advantage for either team. We're just trying to find the handful of games where the public doesn't really understand that Team A is going to have a lot more fans than Team B, and that might be worth a point, a point and a half, two points. And, and that's how you win over the long term is accumulating those edges, those one and one and a half point edges. You only need a couple of those to have a really good bet. Most games are not going to have anything with how well the team travels. Now, Marco was talking about ticket splits. So typically in a bowl game, there might be half the tickets are available for the local fans, 25% for Team A, 25% for Team B. But sometimes Team B will say, we don't want that many tickets. And that's the kind of information that if the other team really travels well, they're going to gobble up those tickets. So you can also, uh, like he said, jump on the Internet. And, and something that at pregame.com, we have people on the forums talking about it is what are the ticket splits can tell you a lot about that. Vegas Runner, wrap up your thoughts on the travel. I think it's important because it ties into motivation. Um, like you said, it's a week-long festival pretty much. It's a party. And when you have, uh, when your school has traveled with you, when you have the majority of fans with you in that city partying with you, joining the festivities with you, they're going to get you more into the game. 
um, you know, you'll, you'll get a little boost, a little more, you know, enthusiasm for the game to win for these people that are here celebrating with you. So I think, like you said, you need to pick your spots. There will be, you know, we have, what, 32 bowl games, I believe, 32, 34, around that number. You will be able to find them, select few games, like RJ said, where the ticket split or the the traveling of one team will give an edge to that team. And like you said, it might only be a one and a half, two point advantage, but that's enough as time goes by to beat the number. You know, a point here, a point there is what it takes to be successful. I, and, and I think Vegas Runner's comment about fan motivation is exactly on, not only during the game, but in the lead up, because most of those fans travel a few days ahead. They're hanging around out around the hotel, and it's just a sense that you've got backing. And if the hotel is empty, well, you get the opposite sense that you don't. So, so agreed and, and really good comments. Um, and don't forget, and, and just to wrap on the travel, if it's obvious, if it's a Pac-10 team or, or USC in the Rose Bowl, yeah, clearly they have, you know, uh, the, they have the proximity, proximity, the geographic proximity. That's the given, and that's going to be already accounted for in the line. Exactly. It's when it's something that isn't obvious that you can get the value. Okay, we have two more factors to consider. And this one is a, is a short one, so I might just kind of hit you with it and then we'll move on. One of the things we try to do is skip over the stuff you want to fast forward is teams don't hit very hard during that lead up to the bowl games. Yeah, they scrimmage some, but mostly they're fearful of injury and it's really a situation where it's weeks and weeks and weeks between the last real live game setting. And when you don't hit, what suffers is tackling. And after a long layoff, oftentimes, especially early in these games, tackling suffers, and that leads to higher scores. So oftentimes when I look at bowl games, I'm always looking to go under because I believe under has more value than over typically because the public likes over. But you can't be seduced into these really high totals, especially against really good offenses because the tackling most likely is going to suffer, especially in the first half of those games. Guys, any thoughts on that? That's a good point, RJ, and, and to tie in one of our earlier points, too, um, I've always been a firm advocate that motivation and intensity is evident more on you need that for defense. Anybody can play offense. Teams can score. They know how to score. It's Does the defense know how to stop them or put that effort? Think in the early games when we talked about motivation. I think you will see more higher scoring games early on because of that motivation factor. Uh, that's what I would add. Interesting point. And, and, and if you think about it, then what we're saying is in general, teams are going to have trouble tackling. If you're not motivated, you're going to have a special, uh, have a significant amount of trouble even beyond the normal trouble. Yes. Vegas runner? The only thing I wanted to add is, is we also need to make sure to define the length of time that they've had off. I mean, the games that are starting at the end of the week and the ones that are going to go two weeks from now, obviously there's a bigger gap in between the layoffs are going to be more significant so it might affect the offense or defense different during the first two weeks of bowls as it will the following two weeks of bowls i think that's something you really have to take a look at because early on 
you know, there wasn't as big of a gap. It isn't a month. It might only be two or three weeks. I think that's a great point. And on the flip side of that, and I'm taking notes as we speak, so on the flip side of that is how, uh, when was their last game played? You know, Ohio State has, uh, you know, finishes well, you know, two weeks before the SEC championship game. So that team with some of their bowl trouble, it's been uh, a the, layoff. the layoff has been the bl- to blame in some people's minds. And really, the uh, Big Ten has had problems in the bowls, period. And so with that no whole, championship game. With no championship game. So that conference, you know, definitely goes a long period of time. So that's very, you know, that could be the big, biggest part of that, is that layoff. Okay, now, moving on to my last factor, and, and it's going to be following the bowl progress of each conference as the poll as the bowls progress before we dig into that is there any other factors that i've missed that that we consider to be noteworthy marco no i think we've got everything covered pretty good um i'm gonna let you go ahead and bring this next one in because um i'll talk about something after you set the table excellent uh vegas runner any other thoughts Uh, no i agree because this what we're covering now it has to do with the dynamics of the bowls and like you said not just normal handicapping Okay, so let's think about this. The nice thing about the bowls is they start, you know, mid-December, a little later, and they extend for three weeks or so. And what you can see is the major conferences will be having multiple bowl games, early games, middle games, and late games. And you can really get a sense of how good these conferences are. And it's key to consider it against the spread because the spread really is the expectation. If a team is supposed to win by 10 and they win by 20, they did better than expectation. If they're supposed to win by 10 but they win by 1, they fell short of expectation. And if you see a conference which is you know, 4-1 and one against the spread and now you're heading into that sixth game, you've got to say this is a team that's been underrated. Or, or, excuse me, this is a conference, conference that's been underrated, and vice versa. So I really think that's something that you'll see a lot of line moves in the bowls early. But by, And again, if you have a number you like, you want to take advantage of it early. But if you have the patience and you wait until game day, you have a history to consider that you didn't have two weeks before. Uh, Vegas Schreiner, what's your thoughts? I agree. As far as when you're going to bet the games, you're right. As you approach game time, you do. You have a history of how the line moved, what, um, whether sharp money, square money, public perception money, um, how the game was bet leading up to, and like you said, where the line moved. Um, did it move correctly according to what the perception is, or has it moved against? Did the sharp money come in the other way? Um, so I, I think because we have such a length of time to track these line movements, you should get a really good feel as you approach game day for what exactly the market's doing, how the bookmakers are responding to the action coming in. Um, when it comes to game day, you shouldn't have to do too much guessing by that point is how I see it. All right, and, and you're bringing up a good point, and it, it's, a, it's a, a separate point, but in a key point, and it's probably worthy of a couple different podcasts, which is how you track line moves in the market. And I think the key point the Vegas runners making in regard to waiting till game day, I'm not saying you should wait till game day, but if you do, you've not only seen how the line moved, but you've also seen how that conference is done in prior games. Marga? I'm going to go slightly the other direction here with a thought. And my thing is that the public sometimes are like lambs led to slaughter. They see a pattern start and then they jump on it. If one conference starts out Rolling. bad, or starts out good, 
they make a perception right away. Oh, that's the way the whole conference is going to be. Or if the dogs do good early, then they start betting the dogs. And when you get to the later bowls, because they're betting that way based on what's happening so far, you get line movement going the other way and you get value by going opposite what's been happening. And think about it for a second. If a conference has been struggling and it was struggling in the earlier games, those are the lesser teams of that conference playing because it's the earlier games. When they get to the later bowl games, you got the you got the better teams in that conference. And if the public's bet the game a point or two the other way because of what the conference has done, yeah, I man. feel you got line value with the better team from that conference. Great point. All right, now this really brings up the crux of of, of one one of the core sports betting concepts is if and we kind of touched on this with travel, if the change that you observe. Or if the fact that you observe is observed by others and, and, and assessed the same way as you assess it, the market is going to move. The line is going to move. So Marco's point is, okay, well, if the Big Ten is 2-5 and five in the bowls, and now here we come on game number 8, and the, because the Big Ten is now out of favor, you're getting two more points with a Big Ten underdog. It might be where the two and five was a fluke, and and because it was the lesser teams. Again, there's another side of that coin. Some conferences are going to be top heavy, some are going to be deep. So sometimes you can have a false perception where maybe the top two teams are really good, the other three that made a bowl aren't so good. The first three play first, they get blown out, and all of a sudden people think the conference stinks. Well, no, the conference might be top heavy. I agree with that, but I think the real takeaway is if what you perceive as being accounted for in the line, there's really no value there. And if it's a misperception, you can gain value by going the other way. Um, and, and I think that's a wonderful concept and, and, and a good one. I can say from my experience that as both conferences have compiled a record as the seasons progressed, I have not seen an adjustment in the line. And that'd be interesting for us all to take a look at that, is even when a conference is doing, you know, if it's doing so poorly, it's like the lead story on ESPN, you know, Big Ten 0 and 6, yeah, it's going to have an effect. But I've seen times you've had conferences that came in highly regarded. They start out two and you know two and uh, four, or maybe one and three, and you don't see any adjustment in the line. So I think that maybe this is something people don't look at closely enough. Now, before we wrap, you know, Marco brought up a great point. I'm going to add this as a factor: is how are the underdogs or favorites doing on the other bowl games? Because that is something that most likely has no correlation. To the next game, and 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 a conference results might. If a conference is one and three, it might be a sign that conference is weak. But if dogs have covered, you know, nine of thirteen games, I don't think it has really anything to do with that next game. But the public who was betting the dogs are going to say, "Hey, I've been winning. I'm going to keep betting the dogs." And the guys that's been betting the favorites that's getting killed is going to say, "I'm going to switch to the dog." So I really believe that's another trend. Let's say that's a a bowl season as the bowl season progresses. Trend that if either the dogs are favorites or over or unders are going one way predominantly, going the other way can offer real value once that trend has been established, because that trend really has no correlation to the next game. Agreed. All right, well, I got to tell you, this has been a great podcast, and, and the subject matter was, is, this has been a tutorial on college ball handicapping, and this has been a pregame.com podcast for RJ Bell, Marco D'Angelo, and Vegas Runner. Good luck. <laughs>